whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Welcome, friends. We are starting a new series today, and it is on ecclesiology. Yeah, so the study of the church, uh, the thinking study of the about church, the church, well, talking kind about of, the church. Uh, but it, it's really talking about the biggest problem. So it's not a full-blown ecclesiology, okay. but each one of us is going to talk about the biggest problem we believe that is in the church today. What's, so what's the word ecclesiology? Yeah, where'd that come from? Um Ecclesia, ecclesia, the, meaning the Greek word for church or yeah, assembly. Yeah. Okay. So and then ology the being study, being studying of, or talking yeah. about thinking about. Yeah. Don't look okay. at me like you guys don't know this. <laughs> no, well, okay. we're just okay. pressing you there. Do a little representing the do a little word study <laughs> here. Yeah. At the okay. So so each each week we're going to each of us the four of us each week one of us will put forward. Here's what I think is the biggest problem in the church, or yeah, maybe start or off a big with a little need. monologue. I don't, I'm not okay. asking necessarily for disagreements. There can be a little bit of that if necessary, but I think what we'll all agree upon is that these are problems in the church. Yeah. And dis- discuss that problem. Is now what are the are there ground rules? Like, can I just say I'm the problem? Uh, well, <laughs> actually, that is my, I'm starting it, and okay, was, you, already, you just stole my thunder. Okay, <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, so Michael, you've got the floor this week. Okay, so I am introducing it, and I am starting. So I'm sorry if I stole you guys's uh, biggest problem, but mine will be legalism. And just okay. give me a few minutes to explain this. Okay. You may interrupt me for clarification, but that's only it for clarification, not to expand on what I'm going to say, because I need my time So what to if explain. we disagree with you? Can we interrupt you? Well, no, not till the end. Okay. You know how it goes. Okay. Let me let me finish my uh, talk here. It's good stuff. We'll be the judge of that. We'll be the judge of that. Okay. My, my uh, biggest problem that I believe in the church today is legalism. Now, before you think you know what I'm talking about, let me qualify that a little bit. Because legalism is often thought of primarily as just the belief that works save you, and it's kind of a denial that faith alone saves you. But it is also extended quite a bit in the New Testament to where it is more of this uh, distinguishing or elevating a certain types of sins as being worse than another type of sin and categories of sins. So in specific, it might be legalists believe that sins of, of a certain type, like sins of the flesh, are not as bad as sins of the heart. Okay. And so in the church today, let me, let me give some examples maybe. That'll be very helpful. Uh, I used to work for a place, and I'm not going to name the place, but I used to work for a place that was King James only. And the King James only is basically a 
uh, well, you're an stepping on toes. <laughs> I know, I know. Right. But uh, legalists, I mean, we'll step on a lot of toes whenever I'm talking about legalism. But King James only would believe that the King James is the only Bible that we use and that it is superior uh, in every way to any other modern form of the Bible. Uh, whenever you, know, you might challenge them on this, and as I did at one point, uh, I asked, okay, are you saying that the King James is the only Bible that can save people? And they say, well, not necessarily. Some people believe that, but we don't. We believe that it's the only one that can sanctify you. So that was a very legalistic thing. It was a very particular type of thing that they believed was elevated over other things. Um, that, that's a type of legalism. But generally speaking, whenever I'm talking about legalism, I'm talking about the stuff that Christ says whenever he's talking to the Pharisees, whenever he says, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Legalists strain out the small things, little things like the, the version of the Bible you use and call it a sin. Uh, sometimes they will take sins that are actually sins like cursing and say, as long as I don't curse, as long as I've never said certain words, I'm sanctified before God. Mm -hmm. But whenever you do curse, then you are most obviously not following the Lord. Uh, I had a situation at a church that I saw where... Was this Bridgeway? No, no. Uh, <laughs> where I saw um, a woman who was... Uh, well, there's a guy that came in from the outside of the church. It was the first time in a church ever. And he Is came this in. a true story? It feels like you're making it up. No, it's a true story. If you okay. keep interrupting him, it's going to be a never-ending story. <laughs> uh, he and I need to qualify that. This is a true story. I'm not naming the names, though. But uh, this guy came in, and he said, this is my first time in a church. And he said, so this is what a church is like, huh? And, you know, we started talking to him, and everybody was really excited to see him because it was his first time there and wanted to impress him. And as we got to talking, he started letting out certain F-words uh, over and over and over again. and Like first and fast and fun <laughs> yeah. and things like that. Okay. Fervent faith. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, many people in the church could not take it. And they got up and began to leave one by one until the last girl left and she said, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. And she left as well. And so here, here's the kind of legalistic structure that happened there. The sin of cursing and saying the F word was worse than the sin of neglect of the need for mercy and evangelism and everything else. And there was this kind of self-righteousness that was brought about in this. And so you have within the church today, I think, quite a bit of a tendency to lean towards self-righteousness based upon sins that are easy. And whenever I say easy, I mean like it's easy not to curse. It's easier not to do sins, uh, to engage in sins of the flesh than it is to deal with sins of the heart. Uh, whenever Christ said, take the speck out of your, or the log out of your own eye so that you can deal with the speck in somebody else's eye, um, I think he was talking about so the significance of people's sins and the significance of the Pharisees' sins, which was lack of mercy, lack of love, lack of doing the things that were the weightier things of the law, and jumping all over people for drinking 
uh, for doing things that were more sins of the flesh. Well, and Michael, maybe another way, I agree with you, another way to say what you're saying is external conformity to a set of rules is something that you can do all by yourself, mm-hmm. whereas actually loving your enemy is something only mm-hmm. can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, God in you, working through you. So, yeah. so that's what's so attractive about outward conformity to a set of man-made rules is it's something you could do without any help from God. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to actually doing the deep ethic that Jesus talked about, oh, you know, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say that if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, and then they went, oh, no, well, that, I'm going to need some outside help on that one. Yeah. So what would a church look like in your vision of the future if legalism was rooted out what would be the difference in Church A with legalism, and then what would Church A look like if legalism was removed? What would be well, the I'm not saying it would be a perfect church. There could still be lots of problems. But, we'll but you've removed soon. the biggest problem. Well, I would say that it's a, it's a church to where the, the weightier things of the law, such as grace and mercy and, uh, and truth and faith and um, forgiveness are... In, engaged and embraced to such a degree that there is this desire and welcoming of people. I mean, I, that guy probably never wanted to go back in a church again. I think after it's important. Being treated that I way. think it's important that we define our terms really carefully because I think we're probably using legalism already in at least two senses. And and I think you touched on that. And so help me out here, Sam. I want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, the definition I tend to use when I use the word is I immediately follow it by a definition I stole from Sam. You know, legalism in by one definition is keeping rules not found in the Bible in order to try to please God and impress other people. Keeping rules not found in the Bible to try to please God and impress other people. Now, what you're talking about when you say not neglecting the weightier matters, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you ought to tithe your garden herbs. Don't neglect it. The problem is not that you're doing that. It's what you're not doing. So that would, I guess, be a different definition because those are rules in that sense found in Scripture, but that are being kept to the neglect of other what you might argue is more important. Mm. So, right, don't we have at least two definitions of legalism? Yeah, yeah and the word legalism is not in the Bible, by yeah. the way. Well, we, there's a third sense of the term legalism. It's what we find in the book of Galatians. The Judaizers, who basically said, um, oh, it's fine if you have faith in Christ. We need to add circumcision to that in order to be fully accepted. So there's a kind of a salvation legalism, which mm-hmm. says there are certain things you have to do. You mentioned it earlier, Michael, the, the approach uh, of works uh, which, you know, hopefully my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. That's kind of a salvation legalism. Lifestyle legalism, on the other hand, is what J.J. just articulated. It's this idea that um, my concept of spirituality, my concept of what really pleases God, is that we abide by certain regulations or we avoid certain activities that are not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but that I believe constitute genuine godliness. And if you don't abide by it, um, you're being dragged down in your relationship with the Lord. And you want to know what true spirituality is? It's abiding by the rules that are not necessarily explicit in Scripture, but that I have identified as being pleasing to God. And I don't want to get to the punchline right here at the beginning, but I hope uh, our listeners can hear a grave danger implicit in doing that. Because if I get to decide what constitutes uh, moral goodness and what doesn't, what kind of things am I going to tend to put on the list? Mm-hmm. Things that I like and I'm good at, right? And I'm going to tend to not put on the list things that I'm not good at and I don't like. And so I create a religion 
around my own strengths um, and, I, and I marginalize all my weaknesses. And so it becomes a way to feel better about myself and to judge other people. It's a very well, dangerous Well, another way slope. we could look at this is so we use this synonymously sometimes with Phariseeism. And uh, looking at the way Christ dealt with the Pharisees is kind of the approach that I'm taking here and saying, what were the Pharisees doing? Who were they looking down upon and who were they excluding out of their religion and based upon what? And how did Christ handle them? And it was always something to where they were looking upon someone for doing something that Christ, as you said, J.J., uh, said you ought to be doing anyway, you know, the small things, the the uh, tithing of your salt and pepper, uh, the straining out a gnat. Maybe we should always be straining out gnats, but legalists will be swallowing camels at the same time, neglecting justice and mercy, and, and primarily, I think, uh, things of forgiveness and uh, just a general concept of grace. Let me give you an example, and maybe this brings it a little bit more into the concrete reality of the present, some of the issues we face today. I can still remember growing up in a particular denomination, um, and in my local church, um, playing pool was considered sinful. And uh, I can remember when we had a rather lengthy uh, dialogue and debate with the leaders of the church about what we were going to put in our family life center. And a lot of us wanted for them to buy pool tables. And I mean, it caused an uproar because many thought this is the, this is the devil's den. Yeah. And yet um, I loved visiting a church within the same denomination in Dallas where uh, close family friends of ours attended. And you walked into their family life center and they had six pool tables. <laughs> and it was uh, the, the stark contrast between the two. Uh, is like one said, no, it's in your face. There's nothing inherently wrong with playing pool. It's just a simple table game. And the other well, said, I don't even like pool, and we put one in the Credo House just for this reason. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and yet there are some Christians who associate playing pool with the billiards hall down where uh, the street where the gambling and the, the unsavory types would oftentimes gather. Um, and, and so everything from, well, should Christians... Uh, when they go swimming, uh, should there be what was called mixed bathing? Should girls and guys all swim in the in the same pool, or should they do it separately? Or uh, is a PG movie permissible, but a PG-13 is off limits, and an R means you're going to hell in a handbasket? You know, things of that sort. Uh, everything from um, uh, the kind of clothing you wear um, to um, the events that you will attend, those sorts of matters over which Christians divide and fight. Yeah. And that's where legalism really is where the rubber hits the road, is when those kinds of issues become primary. And as you said, where we can neglect the needs of the human soul, we can ignore um, matters of far greater importance because we're so fearful that we're going to step a toe across the line of something that might appear to be inappropriate, even though the Bible does not address it. Well, I'm going to pass around a graphic here, and these are things that the Bible does address on both sides, but the description of the graphic is on one side you've got a guy who is pointing the finger at a guy on the other side of a chasm, and the other guy on the other side of the chasm looks sad and down. Below the guy that's pointing, it says sins of the heart, pride, hatred, unforgiveness, greed, envy, uh, without mercy, and prejudice. Below the guy with the sins of the flesh, it says drunkenness, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, gluttony, prostitution, drug abuse, foul language. Of course, all of these 
are sins. But in one sense, you can take the, the, the guy who has the hypocrisy, the guy who has unforgiveness, the guy who is without mercy, and he kind of can get a pass. It's easy for him to get a pass because it's hard to, so let's say you're bringing somebody into a church office and you say, I want to bring this guy in and I want to, you to deal with this. And it's real easy whenever it's something definable like this person cheated on um, my wife or uh, cheated on, uh, my wife cheated on me with him. Mm-hmm. And that's really easy to define. But how do you bring somebody in who says this guy is unforgiving? Well, another way to say that is there are sins that are praised in our culture and there are sins that are exoriated. So uh, the guy whose drunkenness has made his life unmanageable is generally looked down upon. Yeah. The man whose idolatry towards work has led him to neglect his family is generally praised. So the, the sins of the religious are sometimes even uh, sort of aided and abetted by those around them. Whereas the sins of the irreligious are sort of generally often seen by people in culture as unhelpful because why, why you know, is one, one way that's been talked about is functional and dysfunctional idols. If you're an alcoholic, you have a dysfunctional idol. It might make your wife leave you. You might lose your job. You might lose everything. Mm-hmm. A functional idol like workaholism might lead to great wealth and success. And l- l- let, me, let me just throw in a question here. Why would anybody want to be a legalist? I mean, what is the appeal of legalism? I and mean, we, we can define it. We can uh, give particular issues the, on which the Bible does explicitly speak and then mention a whole bunch of cultural activities in which the Bible is silent. But what's in the, what is it in the heart of a man or a woman that would incline them toward legalism in the first place? What, uh, what, is, it, what is, it, is its allure is what I'm pers- asking. Personally, I think it's, it's power that comes from insecurity in someone's identity in Jesus, I would say it would be my my take of it is that that there is a sense. So I, I think the the solution for for legalism is not necessarily grace. I think grace is maybe like a verb moving towards a solution. Uh, but I'd say Jesus is a solution to legalism, and I think Galatians is clear. You know, Paul is uh, saying just like trumped that, anything we might say. Now. Well, well, no, because I think I think the way that you so so I like those definitions of legalism. For a definition that I use is legalism is trying to get people to act like followers of Jesus without being followers of Jesus mm-hmm. or without encouraging them to follow Jesus. So external so, external conformity without inward transformation. Yeah, without the inward motivation. So I think if someone is walking around, uh, so for instance, let's, uh, uh, let's take it in one area, like if someone comes in and let's say a homosexual couple come into my church office and they say, hey, we're gay, what are you going to do about it? Well, I think an insecure legalist would pipe up all these rules of why they need to stop or change or all these things. But I think, hopefully, being secure in Jesus, if someone says, we're gay, what are you going to do about it? I would say, well, what do you think about Jesus? Because I should care way more about the eternal uh, situation of their heart way before external realities. You know, so like someone might come in and say, I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, what do, you, what do you think about that action? And I want to say, well, what do you think about Jesus? Because what I might find out is that they, they have come to really love Jesus, and they used to smoke 10 packs a day, and now they smoke only two, and their heart is going just gangbusters for Jesus. And I'd be like, man, go and be well and keep loving Jesus. Because, because what, I, and what I'm getting to, I think, is that what we have to realize is it's the role of the Holy Spirit that comes upon people once they put their trust in Jesus. It's the role of the Holy Spirit 
Spirit to make us look more like Jesus. Now, we should spur each other on to love and good deeds. We should encourage holiness in each other. Uh, but when I see someone that is like a Napoleon, uh, is the, the gatekeeper of holiness in their church, that is forcing, that in a legalistic fashion is saying, here are the rules of the way we act in our church, I see someone that cares more about external realities than they care about the e- eternal passion of someone's and, heart and towards Jesus. And here's my question. Why? Why, Why do they care yeah, I was just more say, about well, external here, realities? Here's what I would say, Sam, is that is that I don't think that you want to be say, why would someone want to be a legalist? If you're a Christian and you drift towards legalism, and that's kind of where I'm at right now, what I'm dealing with uh, in my my uh, presentation. And Sam, your, your question, uh, why would someone want to be a legalist? Dealing with this from a Christian context, and I'm trying to say, Christian Christians who become legalists or drift towards that because I think we can drift towards either side but I, I'm not so sure that anybody necessarily would want to become one it's just easy to as, as JJ but, said earlier it's it's the external thing you don't you don't smell you smell the beer on someone's breath or the alcohol on their breath the next morning you don't smell the hatred on their right heart. but there is an appeal to legalism it does something to the human soul so for example I think, Tim, you touched on one. I think there's a sense of security. If I can define in very explicit terms and get it all written down on paper, everything I need to do so -hmm. that I know God will smile upon me and I'll be acceptable in His sight, that brings a sense of comfort and security. There's an element of control that is involved, all of which I think to some extent is fueled by pride. It's the sense that, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but um, I can improve upon that by living in accordance with these rules. And that shows how really zealous I am. God's really going to be pleased with me. And if you want him to really be pleased with you, you'll live like me. So there's even that element of control. It's yeah. not only that I want to bring my life into conformity with what I think will please God. I want to bring your life into conformity with it as well. So there's a, th- these are alluring, appealing things that people, uh, oh, I think obviously are immature, find attractive and therefore they're I think they're susceptible to legalistic tendencies in their life. I think it also allows them to compartmentalize their life too because if they check off the list so I know I know people uh, legalists that I grew up with where you could not listen to any music except for classical music Uh, you could not even go to a movie theater so even if you were going to a movie theater to see a Pixar G-rated movie you were not allowed to go to a movie theater because there was a perception that someone there that you may be trying to share Jesus with might think that you're there to watch a rated R movie, okay? So these are people who don't even go to a movie theater, yet if you went to their house and you went into their TV room, they would have a whole shelf of rated R movies. Because what they did is they compartmentalized that for me to live for Jesus means don't go to a movie theater, Which is, but again, then I can focus on these other like things. like J.J. said, they're more concerned with their public image. Yeah. What are the people who see me in the theater going to think than they are with the internal reality of their souls and what goes on in the privacy of their own bedroom? Which well, is why a lot of the parents or a lot of the kids of legalists grow up saying, yeah, you thought this was this person at church, but you didn't know them at home like I knew them. Well, and I'm glad that you said the kids of legalists because the kids of legalists tend to, to uh, the kids of those who are religious in the negative sense of the term tend to grow up to be irreligious. Yeah. And that's a perfect, those two generations are a perfect illustration of how the good news of what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection is really a third thing. You know, this isn't a mm-hmm. Goldilocks 
calibration, you know, not, not too many rules, not too few, not too tight, not too loose, you know, mm. get, get it just right. It, you know, religion and irreligion are, are both ditches. They're, they're, neither one of them is the, mm. is the good news of what Jesus has well, accomplished. Well, in the end, we're, we're trying to say... The rule That's keeper it. and the rule breaker. Neither one of them is putting their trust in the sinless life, atoning death of Jesus. And understanding that we all have our bents and our tendencies. And certain people are going to be bent towards certain sins. But if we, to solve this, to end in this, to solve this, the one thing we could do is everybody have their sins printed on their t-shirts every time they're, mm-hmm. they go to church. And then we would all be, you know... Nobody would be a legalist then. We would all be humble and gracious. Well, but that yeah. can't happen. Well, we can increase our awareness that all of our sins are printed on our T-shirts to at least one person. And just to throw it out there, Michael, I don't think this is the biggest sin in the church. And so just at the end, I'm going to let you know this is important, but I don't think it's the biggest provocative, one. Provocative, provocative. Yeah. So next time we might move closer to what I think is the big one. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.